We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a new Sox Machine Live. It's been a minute, as the cool kids would say, since we've done this last. Uh, Last time we did this was uh, early July. And uh, we're in mid-August, and last time we had a Sox Machine Live episode, we were talking about a White Sox team fighting to get back to 500. It's mid-August, and we're still talking about a White Sox team that's hovering around 500. I'm Josh Nelson alongside Jim Margulis, the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. Thank you to everyone that's watching the live stream of this episode on our YouTube page at YouTube.com slash SoxMachine, and for those that are also watching on SoxMachine.com, Com. Really appreciate it. And for the podcast listeners, thank you guys so much for listening to the audio version of this episode afterwards. All right. So the Chicago White Sox, after their home series post-All-Star break against Cleveland, had the easiest 19-game stretch of their season. The Rockies, the Athletics, the Royals, Rangers, Royals again, and Tigers. They have played 16 of those 19 games, Jim, and they are eight and eight after losing the series against Kansas city. I don't want to go break down every moment that happened in this series against the Royals, because I do not want to get frustrated and angry and become that character. I think it's the movie inside out. Uh, the, the red guy who just gets super angry and fire shoots from their head. Like that's where I would be. Try to recap this series against the Royals, but we're 16 games into the easiest 19 game stretch of the season for the White Sox. Like where is your head at Jim after this series? I'm, uh, you know, basically the headline I wrote for the uh, finale of the series, which is a mediocre team poorly managed. And that's what I kind of keep coming back to. I think, you know, the White Sox talent more or less is on hand. I mean, Tim Anderson is hurt, but Tim Anderson was playing about as well as a, you know, I guess 40th percentile Larry Garcia. So like, you know, that's not really a step down, you know, going from him to uh, now Garcia's hurt and Garcia. That was weird. Just watching Garcia take all those uh, injured swings and nobody doing anything about it. Nobody really asking about it. I think there's like a limited beat presence uh, in Kansas city, but that was one of the weirder moments that I just want to acknowledge, but yeah, you know, whether they're hurt, whether they're not hurt, whether they're hustling, whether they're not hustling, whether they're running hard, whether they're running as hard as they can. And it doesn't matter. Like I'm thinking about like Yasmani Grandal in the bases or Andrew Vaughn in right field. Like basically there's uh, when it comes to the various facets of their game, speed, defense, pitching, uh, starting bullpen, et cetera. Like everything drags them back to 500. Uh, they're just like a, it's like a tractor beam that they can't escape. Like no matter how hard they try in one area, another area drags them back down. And then like, you know, basically at the center of it all uh, connected to every uh, arm of this uh, effort is Tony La Russa, who's doing a pretty bad job. And 
is coming across in his comments is very uh, tone deaf or um, aloof. Obtuse. Yeah, aloof, <laughs> like whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, whether he's in denial or whether he just doesn't know, like uh, he, he doesn't strike me as engaged or in tune. And I think, you know, there is a natural, def- like he's a defense lawyer. Like that's kind of how he approaches the job. So he's always going to say like, it's not as bad as it looks or it's better than you think. But when everybody's watching the same thing and now you're seeing some players a couple times over the past week say like uh, that they don't like the way this looks. Um, he's losing, it seems, the messaging battle. Yeah, and let's talk about that message here as Johnny Cueto is the most recent White Sox player to comment about what is happening. And in the 8-3 to three loss from Wednesday night, he told the White Sox beat reporters, quote, we can't get comfortable. We need to go out, play, and play hard and show what we can do. We need to fight. We need to show the fire that we have, if we have any. And it's that last part, Jim. That <laughs> That's a hell of a everyone, Yeah, that, that everyone attached and hook to that comment. And that's what they've been talking about for the White Sox. And did that light a spark under the White Sox? But no, they lost five to three on Thursday. Uh, maddening game as they had the bases loaded with nobody out. Didn't score the previous inning. They had runners on first and second. Nobody out. Didn't score. Uh, I think they had 14 hits in the game, only scored three runs. And two of those 14 hits were home runs that drove in the runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the other 12 hits didn't do a damn thing uh, in the game for the White Sox. And we'll get to that in a moment. But the lack of fire and some of the things that you touched on, Jim, like the base running isn't there. The defense, the defensive lapses at times in games. Wednesday was a great example of that. The first five innings, the White Sox were turning pretty slick double plays. And then Yohan Mikata has a bad inning defensively in the sixth inning, makes a couple poor throws. And then all of a sudden the game is tied. Uh, and ad nauseum, we've been talking about the corner outfield spots for the White Sox and their inability uh, to get fly balls and make those plays where an average outfielder will make them. Mm-hmm. What caught my attention, Jim, was the post-game comments from Steve Stone after after Thursday's loss. And this is a great example of what you chimed in on Monday about Stone being the last year of his contract, and sometimes he just lets things fly uh, to help in contract negotiations. And he said that as long as this team continues to tolerate players not hustling, they're going to continue struggling. And I took that as a shot across the bow of the White Sox coaching staff because they are the ones tolerating this, the Mm -hmm. not hustling out of the box, not giving it 110%. This team feels like they're still playing baseball in the month of May, and they they have like 100 games left the season. No, you got 50 games left to go and you are falling further behind in the American League Central standing. So if Johnny Cueto says that this team is lacking fire and this is coming from his experience in the clubhouse, I have to believe him, Jim. So what are your thoughts about Cueto questioning the lack of fire from the White Sox? Well, I'll start with uh, Andrew Vaughn and Daryl Van Scowen's uh, article about it started with LaRusso's comments before the game, and he included uh, Vaughn's comments after the game. As Rec brought him up, I'll put him into the uh, the chat screen here. Um, but he said, uh, you know, from the story, Andrew Vaughn, who homered in the ninth inning, said he agrees with Cueto. Yeah, I think so, Vaughn said. I'm not a big rah-rah guy, pretty quiet and soft-spoken. Whatever guys need to get themselves going on the field is great. So, you know, it's, you know, given that Vaughn is, you know, he's not a big rah-rah guy. He's also basically a rookie. You know, he's still trying to figure out his place in the team and pecking order. So like, you know, he's probably also not going to be the one who calls everybody out about it. So, you know, he's not going to say like, yeah, hundred uh, percent, you know, down with Yohan Makata or whoever else he singles out if there, you know, there is something to single out, but yeah, it's, uh, um, it's pretty, I guess the impression I get is that, you know, Cueto's comments, Stone's comments, um, trying to think, I'm I'm blanking now because I got distracted by Vaughn's comments. Who was the one who had the previous quote that was, uh, oh, Jose Abreu. He had the previous quote saying, you're talking about um, that, you know, he's 
going about his business the best he can, but others might not be doing the same. Mm-hmm. And it almost strikes me as like a case where like everybody is just waiting for Tony LaRusso to leave. Like that's kind of my impression is mm. like between his lack of urgency and just, uh, you know, the clubhouse saying it's doing great, but nobody really responding to anything that well and nobody feeling under the gun or trying all that hard. Like in the case of Luis Robert, like we know that there have been limitations on hustle, but you know, as we're watching the singles pile up the hot local singles and the white Sox lead the league in singles, but they they have one of the least effective offenses because singles are all they have. So it's like, if you're going singles, you need to go all in on that. And it's August. And if Luis Robert is not, you know, running hard on the box and the grounder, he can sometimes beat, like he can beat grounders the right side if there's any uh, hesitation or any kind of, you know, bungling on the part of the defense. And sure enough, like he, uh, you know, jogs the first 40 feet. And by the time he sees Michael Massey bobbling it, you know, and he turns on, he's in a step and a half too late. And like, that's, I think what's, what's frustrating stone and in, in, in Benetti to a lesser extent, stone's been more candid, but Benetti's backed him up here and there, just saying like Benetti approaches it in terms of like, boy, I wish his team homered more mm-hmm. <laughs> because they can't, they need to maximize everything else. Like they can't, you know, give away bases on the, you know, base running. They can't uh, give away extra outs. And like Josh Harrison, you know, uh, we were talking about the extra outs. Like Harrison had a bad game. He had that uh, one single that was really more of an error. And then he didn't get a tag down on the perfect Sebi Zavala throw where it needed to be. And so gave the stolen base that turned into a run. You know, Andrew Vaughn, like another case where I don't think he can comment too loudly because like he had a couple singles drop within a step or two of him which you know if they drop a step or two away from Andrew Vaughn like Nate Eaton who we saw playing pretty well for the Royals probably catches that standing up without oh, yeah, an extraordinary effort yeah. so you know that's what I think we're kind of looking at but just add it all up and it seems like just you know LaRusse is there the White Sox are there uh, the Venn diagram between the two does not really overlap and they're just kind of biding their time. And I know that, you know, when you look at like managerial changes, the Phillies are on one side, then you have the angels on the other in terms of just like uh, polar opposites in terms of how a team responds to uh, managerial changes, because, you know, it does come down to the talent in the end, but uh, just when you see how many things are wrong with the white Sox and how many things are going unaddressed, it's just like, I would lean towards the Phillies side of the spectrum if I had to bet just because, there's so much that's just not happening. And I just felt so bad for Dylan Cease because watching him pitch, like, you know, once he gave the homer and then he got into trouble the next time with two walks over the first three batters in the fourth inning, you could see him digging deep. You could see like, Oh, I've made the one mistake I can afford to make. And it turns out he couldn't really afford to make that mistake, but just, you know, once he saw like, Oh, that was my other favorite part of that game. Yeah. I had a lot of favorite parts of this game apparently, but I like how the first inning they had one single second inning. They had two singles. Third inning, they had three singles, and they didn't score on any single inning. Like once I saw Sebi Zavala get confused around second base, I thought, like, oh no, this is just. Oh, also, Stone had a, a nice piece of foreshadowing, talking about talking to Granky and saying, oh, the White Sox get themselves out. And sure enough, once the bases get loaded, he just throws a bunch of seventy mile per hour curves to Elo Jimenez. He can't uh, lay off, and then he uh, just yo-yos uh, Jose Abreu into the ground, fast, slow, fast, slow. Um, yeah, that's. You know, just seeing Cease doing his damnedest to make sure that he didn't do anything else wrong by throwing 100 miles per hour and throwing like a 91 mile per hour slider. Just, I felt so bad for the guy because I, I think when it comes down to like the pitchers know they're on their own, and it, it seems like it's separate units, and and it always is to a certain extent with with the uh, uh, baseball teams because they are like the the starters are different from the bullpen, different from the everyday lineup. But it it just watching Cease doing everything he could and that not being good enough, just maybe think like, yeah, they're just, this, these are just uh, um, fractured parts. They're not at war, but they're also not really together. It seems. Well, I wouldn't blame the starting pitchers as they had a players only meeting gym pointing the fingers and casting blame on the position players. You know, pitchers don't hit anymore. They don't, you have the permanent DH everywhere and the white Sox are not scoring enough runs. Like forget hits. And I'm going to bring this stat up and Jeremy Frank posted this uh, on Twitter, which you could follow him at MLB random stats. And what Jeremy tweeted for our podcast listeners, 705 of the White Sox first thousand hits this year are singles. 
the most recent teams to finish a season with at least 70% of their hits being singles. The 2018, 16, and 15 Marlins and the 2015 Atlanta Braves. The Detroit Tigers are also in pace to join this list, but they haven't gotten to 1,000 hits yet on the season. Three of those four teams, the hitting coach was Frank Menachino. And if the White Sox continue to have 70% of their hits being singles in 2022, the five to- the five teams that have 70% of the 1,000-plus hits in a season being singles, four of the five will be teams where their hitting coach was Frank Menachino. Frank, good luck getting another hitting job in the major leagues after this season. Well, and you know, it's funny too, is that when the Tigers join this, if the Tigers join this list, uh, you know, <laughs> for their hitting- sake, Jim, I hope they join this list. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, you can't quite, count, you know, I can't quite guarantee a thousand hits, but uh, you know who their hitting coach is. No. Scott Coolbaugh, who was the assistant hitting coach under Menachino last year. Yeah. Or two years ago, I should say. Uh, Awesome. Yeah, the 2020 <laughs> season. So yeah, he was hired for the yeah, Tigers after. So yeah. It's hard from an outside perspective, not being in the clubhouse and obviously beat reporters. Maybe they can be transparent and honest with you when you're having a beer with them. And it's an off the record type of conversation because they have to work with these players. And it's a very, it's a very dangerous territory to be in because if you screw up and you release something out on the public and it gets caught back, uh, that player will stop talking to you. And that makes it a very difficult job to do as a beat. But from our perspective and from the studio guys and radio and other commenters and other blogs and even White Sox fans, when it comes to Johnny Cueto questioning the team's fire, you know, from the outside, it's hard to gauge on just where everybody's hat is at. But the White Sox are most definitely lacking firepower. This has been a problem all season long. And it's just now it's like a whole new level of torture watching this White Sox team. Because of 14 hits. If a team gets 14 base hits in a game, you're thinking, all right, they're going to score at least like six runs. And that's an easy win, right? Mm -hmm. But singles don't do anything for this team because – They don't run because some of the guys can't because they're just super slow. The guys that do have speed are not running at hundred percent because they're worried they're going to blow up their hamstring. So there's just like no benefit. And they don't draw walks and they don't draw walks. Like singles are basically all the base runners. Yeah. So it's just, it's like pointless. Like you're, you're attempting to beat the other team with a death by a thousand paper cuts and how many years has it been, Jim, that we have been stating on our show, you do not win a world championship this way. It is ball go far, team go far. And the lesson that we talked about the White Sox had to learn from their postseason loss to Houston last year is that you need to hit for power, especially in the playoffs, because the teams that are hitting home runs win the damn thing. That's how the Atlanta Braves upset Milwaukee and Los Angeles and Houston last year to win the World Series. And it's like they didn't learn that lesson. And our best friend, Dan Zaborski over Fangraphs, just wrote a column about this that I highly recommend it. Go to Fangraphs.com and read Dan's perspective on what's going on with the White Sox. And we're going to share some of that data that he had in that blog post. But it's like they're they're just not learning Maybe they're refusing to learn. And the fact that they didn't make any big adjustments to their roster, you know, the whole concept of going big uh, or go home uh, instead of in things we talked about, continuing to spend more money on the bullpen or fringe major leaguers that you say are depth pieces, but in reality uh, they're not depth pieces because you don't want them playing a whole lot. The, The fact that the White Sox did not learn from their mistakes in Houston the fact that they had a poor offseason, the fact that they didn't make any moves before the trade deadline, like that's why they're 56 and 56 right now. And they're third place in the American League Central. The mistakes that they continue to make since October are really biting them in the butt, Jim. Well, it's funny, you know, the one area, I, I shouldn't say they don't acknowledge it. The, the one area they do definitely acknowledge or have acknowledged it 
was the draft because they kept going for like Zach Collins, Jake Berger, Gavin Sheets, Andrew Vaughn, like certain, you know, they were, they were looking for power and plate discipline from the draft. Like, I don't know, maybe it's just because those skills are so like the combination of those two skills are so expensive in the open market that they figured like, okay, the one way we have to get is through the draft. So they focused on it, but that ended up with them getting like four DHs or four first basemen because like the, you know, by the time they're drafting and drafting for that skill versus thinking they can develop it, you know, whether it's one or the other power or uh, plate discipline, like the, by the time they draft, you know, outside of Vaughn, um, you know, they have to draft the guys who are limited defensively or athletically to where like it's hard for Zach Collins to stay behind the plate or Jake Berger to stay at third. So, you know, that's how you end up with this pileup of like players, like four to six DHs in the lineup or organization on, on the 40 man roster. And so that's, so, you know, it just comes down to not wanting to super solve a problem. Like that's the phrase I keep coming back to is like, um, okay, it's going to be expensive. You know, so what it's, right. you know, it's, it's, you've proven you can't uh, you've, you know, you have some savings here because you have some pitchers who are cheaper. You have some savings here because you have some uh, players under team control for a while. Why don't you try splurging on right field to try to you know, address those shortcomings or second base or what have you to get like a, um, you know, Semyon or Trevor Story or Bryce Harper or George Springer, just you know, down the line of uh, players they tried, you know, I, you know tried to varying degrees or didn't try to varying degrees to sign just because they were going to cost uh, a nine figure contract. I think that's what I keep coming back to is just, they try to do it through the draft, which is probably, yeah, I shouldn't say probably definitely the hardest way to do it, especially when you don't have the kind of um, talent or acumen for changing swings or uh, training eyes or what have you that like the Dodgers or the Yankees or, you know, other teams do. Yeah, it's one thing to draft guys. You still got to develop them, uh, which is an entirely different department. And yeah, there's just, there's there's nothing behind. Right now, there's there's this gap as far as the White Sox development system. The guys that, you know, Oscar Colas is doing great, but he's he just got to double A. Colson Montgomery's been doing great this year. He just got to Winston-Salem. Like, it seems like the incoming help is at least a year away for the White Sox. And we're going to take a look at the playoff odds here for the Chicago White Sox and where they currently stand. And when you look at the American League Central race, we we called a gym. We're geniuses. Cleveland has finally made us look smart. Uh, they took over first place in the American League Central. They're 59 and 52. They have won five straight games uh, as they swept at Detroit. So they did what the White Sox could not. They beat a bottom dweller handedly or convincingly, I should say, uh, and sweeping the Detroit Tigers in Detroit. They are one and a half games ahead of the Minnesota Twins, who are 57 to 53 as the Minnesota Twins uh, got whooped up again by the Los Angeles Dodgers. It was not fun this year for the Twins to face the Dodgers. The White Sox, as we mentioned, are 500. They're 56 and 56. They're three and a half games back at Cleveland for first place. So after this Series, the White Sox were two games back on Monday. They lost one and a half games back in the division race. When you zoom out and you look at the wild card in the American League, Houston has caught the Yankees for the number one seed. So that's pretty interesting as the Yankees are really struggling. They've lost eight of their last 10 games. So Houston right now has a half game lead over the Yankees for the number one seed, putting the Yankees in the number two seed. The number three seed would be Cleveland because they're leading the American League Central. Toronto would be the fourth seed, being the wild card host. Seattle is a half game behind Toronto at 61 and 52. And tied for the sixth seed is Tampa Bay and Baltimore. The Orioles have won seven of the last 10 games, and uh, they are still within the playoff race. I can't believe it. <laughs> and then Minnesota's a game behind Baltimore and Tampa Bay and the White Sox are three games back of the Orioles and Rays. That's where they currently are. Let's look at their projections. So looking at Dakota, Dakota right now simulating the rest of the season a thousand times has the White Sox more often finishing third 
in American League Central. And for those that are watching on YouTube, that's what this graph shows is all the results of a thousand simulations. More times than not, the White Sox finish in third behind Cleveland and Minnesota. For Dakota, Cleveland is the projected winner of the American League Central with 50 games remaining. Fan graphs. I'm going to warn you for those that are watching on YouTube. This is probably not safe for work. You may throw something off of your computer desk because this graph is really disheartening. This graph, for those that are listening in on the podcast, is the Fangraph's American League Central playoff odds from the beginning of the season to the present. At one point, the White Sox odds of reaching the postseason in 2022 was above 80%. It's currently below 34%. And it's taken a sharp turn, a sharp turn in the past week in which now Cleveland has a 57% chance of reaching the postseason. The Minnesota Twins have a 51% chance of reaching the postseason. Again, they're just a game back of the sixth seed in the wild card. And the White Sox have dropped down to a 34% chance of reaching the postseason. With that being said, Jim, for so long, when we have been talking about this White Sox team, that there was still hope because you go to the projection models, you can go to the projection systems and those systems that we really lean on as far as with our preseason coverage in Dakota and zips and fan graphs suggested that the white Sox were going to turn their season around at some point. They still had better talent, more talent than Minnesota and Cleveland, and they should win the American league central, but not at the record that we were expecting preseason, but they should still make the playoffs. We are now in August 11th and the postseason odds for the White Sox have fallen to 34%. Is this the end? Like, is this where the White Sox fans that have been saying the season's been over for a couple of weeks, are are we inching closer to there's going to feel like a a finality to this 2022 season for the White Sox? I'm inclined to say no, but not because the White Sox, you know, turn it around or look like they're turning around, but more because just the nature of the AL Central, just, I think, you know, just like the the tractor beam effect, like keeps pulling everybody back towards each other. So, you know, I think right now you're seeing the Guardians leap ahead, but that's because they're playing the Tigers while the um, Twins are playing the Dodgers who are unstoppable right now. Like they're just... Uh, they're looking like a super Dodgers team. And we've seen so many super Dodgers teams in the past. They shouldn't be impressing us, but somehow this team is. So like we've seen it before where just, you know, one team is beaten up on a, um, you know, a, a cellar dweller. Another team's going to you know, the, the cream of the crop. And so it looks like, oh, this is the week where the twins gain some separation. This is the week where the guardian, like, and then just once the schedule turns, uh, that's why it's so, um, you know, been so topsy-turvy i think the the thing that makes this different is that you know as we're seeing in the fan graphs graphs and the uh you know baseball prospectus chart is that this should have been the area where they gain ground um mm-hmm. yeah and like you said eight and eight in in this 19 game stretch against all below 500 teams like this this should have been the time where they pad their standings a bit and take advantage of it and then as the standings yeah they, they lose some of the expected winning percentage edge edge that they had because these teams are in the rear view mirror and they're not gaining ground or losing ground. In fact, to the guardians, that's where I think the formulas projections say like, Oh, um, they should have done better in these 16 games. Uh, these wins are no longer part of the factor. So um, yeah, that's why you're seeing the percentage plummet. So it is uh, yeah. I, I think this is different. And I think when you know, Rick Hahn, assuming he has his start of homestand, media session like i'm curious one if he's going to have it because he has ducked the press at times like this where uh there's nothing to say and nothing new to report like you know I, I, he has been called out on it before um so maybe he doesn't make that appearance but like he can't say that you know there's a lot of season left or you know we're playing to the back of baseball cards because now all of a sudden the back of the baseball cards the projections would have it like they don't they no longer apply they don't agree with what the white Sox are saying so now it has to be different. Now it has to be a, and now there need to be heroes. <laughs> now it can't be a matter of um, just regressing to the mean. There need to be actual players and units that step up. So 
uh, I'm really curious to see how that goes because there really is no good news because as we saw, like even the good news, like Johnny Cueto delivering six good innings every time and Dylan Cease uh, setting records with his uh, stinginess with uh, earned runs, they don't matter. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's talk about what's next for the White Sox. So we've so far in this episode, we've talked a lot about where the White Sox currently are and what's ailing them, what's going on in the clubhouse, the lack of fire. They got 50 games left to go in this season. And when I asked the question, what's next for the White Sox, Jim, I'm looking at the lens of what happens if they don't make the playoffs. Like mm-hmm. what are going to be the ramifications of missing the postseason? And I bet. In the upcoming weeks, we're going to get a suggestion that there are going to be changes made within the White Sox front office. It may feel very similar to what we saw within the Chicago Bulls. God willing. God willing. And you mentioned Rick Hahn, and I, I'm sure he's feeling like the ant underneath the magnifying glass right now on a sunny day. And he should, because this is a $190 million payroll, and they are a 500 team. We've never seen the White Sox spend this type of money before, and they are getting nothing out of it. Very similar feel to the big offseason moves leading up to the 2015 season and the big offseason moves leading up to the 2016 season. A reminder Both of those teams did not finish above 500 and of course led to the White Sox big rebuild teardown leading up to this moment of where we are in 2022 during the supposed contention window. From the people I speak with, the payroll that the White Sox are at in 2022 is not sustainable if they do not make the playoffs. So the thought process of, well, just spend more money, keep the payroll at $190 million, that will not happen if they do not have playoff revenue. So expect for the Sox Machine offseason plan project to not only try to build a competitive team, but also, by the way, slash payroll by 20 to $30 million. Uh, that will make that task super fun uh, to participate in and super easy. That's what's swirling in my head right now, Jim, is the ramifications that they do not reach the postseason. How mm-hmm. about you? What do you think the possible ramifications are for the White Sox if they do not improve over these next 50 games, they do not overtake Cleveland and Minnesota in the American League Central? I was reading the follow-up stories about uh, the Tigers firing Alavila, you know, after seven years and only one winning season, which happened to be at the very beginning. And then they've been kind of lost in the wilderness afterwards. And, just like daydreaming about how nice that would be to have that story for us and be able to like write about a very kind of like when you talked about, yeah, the brief window where Rick Renteria was fired and realized like, Oh, the white Sox seem like they have ambition here. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really trying hard. They really saw the status quo is unacceptable. This is cool. This is, they're doing an external search. There are some uh, really intriguing and proven candidates out there. I wonder where this is going to go. And then, you know, it turns out that the, uh, Right at the end of the tunnel was a train and 
it's uh yeah <laughs> we're still living with it this day but i was just kind of daydreaming and thinking like oh it'd be really interesting just to write about like gm candidates and and, and you know think about like is it gonna be from the rays tree or the astro you know just how are they gonna do this and then you know i had people you know tweeting at me saying well that's not gonna happen and just like you know why would you why would you ruin somebody's day? <laughs> That's not the point of this. Like, I'm just, I'm just trying to go to a happy place in my head of just, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, it, it's like saying like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to Hawaii in my mind. And just like, Oh, you want to be on a 10 hour flight with a bunch of people coughing? Like, shut up. <laughs> let, me just, <laughs> let me have this. Yeah, that, that's that's uh yeah. So I was, I was thinking about that and just, you know, then I was thinking about like, you know, if it is a case where they can't carry 190 million, like why would you trust, Rick Hahn. And by saying Rick Hahn, like I also include Kenny Williams. I include like basically everybody in the decision-making ranks, like whoever you want to blame, whoever your, your, your favorite scapegoat is, you know, fine. Like it's, it's all one unit to me. So Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams have been working together for 20 something years now. So if, if Rick Hahn felt like he was being undercut at every moment, he probably would have lasted this long. So I think they're, they're all happy with the way things are going until proven otherwise. Um, just, yeah. Why would you trust them to take this team and try to compete again when you have to, you know, theoretically cut money from this payroll when you, when you have like the teams like twins and, uh, the, uh, guardians and the Royals getting better. Like, that's the thing that's, you know, kind of nuts about this division is that like, it'd be one thing if like, say the twins like were, uh, like say, say that 65 wins right now because like Joe Ryan is a beast and because Byron Buxton is playing 160 games all of a sudden. And just, you know, you, you look all around the diamond, like Alex Kirloff finally putting it together, like having all these like best case scenarios working out for them in the way we thought they might be a, a force, you know, a couple of years ago, you could say like, Oh, well, I guess the twins like beat the projections. They got great. Um, that's really unfortunate. Like if the white Sox finished second to a, a team, a story like that, but I mean, like the twins, like they're just as beat up as the White Sox, like in a lot of ways. Um, look at the Guardians, like they they didn't try this winter. They uh, they cut corners. They um, you know we're just trying to get by with a team that could theoretically, you know, compete. You know, you know, maybe hang hang around for that extra postseason spot. Like I don't think their ambitions were the Central Division. I think they were just trying to like see if we can get to eighty five wins and see if that's enough. Um, you know, they've had some nice breakout stories like Ahmed Rosario and such, and some, you know, some contributions from, uh, younger players, but they're still like the same old guardians. Uh, and they weren't trying to be anything better over the course of the, uh, uh, winter. Then you have the Royals that, you know, you know, ha have been a disaster until as of late, because they finally promoted some of the rookies. Then you had the Tigers who have, you know, been such a mess that they fired Avila. So, I mean, like this division sucks. And, and and nobody is playing beyond what the general expectations were, and some are very much underplaying it. And the White Sox look like they can't compete. So that's what I keep coming back to is like this isn't a case where like oh the division got tough in a hurry. No, it didn't. The White Sox are just somehow playing down to it. Like you know, and and in a way where just like you look at the um, like with the Jose Abreu discussion, like you know he enters a contract year, like. What is the offensive core here? Like, you know, who is who are the the, the must keeps? Like, and, yeah, I keep hearing Andrew Vaughn, which is like probably, but you know, there should be a guy who's like, yes, he's the cleanup hitter uh, for the foreseeable future. Even you know, with or without a Bray, we have the guy who's uh, uh, now carrying the baton and the, and the guy this lineup is built around. Like, the White Sox do not have that guy yet, <laughs> and uh, uh, that's. That's a problem when you have a rebuild that that tears it down and you you sell off all the parts of, with all the team control they had and they got some nice pitchers out of it. But when it comes to like Moncada falling apart, uh, you know Jimenez not being healthy, Robert being somewhat enigmatic, um, it's you know it's it's tough to know like how this team can compete uh, with a lower payroll without like a a real visionary at the helm or, or somebody who has like um, somebody who can like look at this and say like, I know how to add by subtracting. Like, I, I know like you may feel bad about trading Jimenez or, you know, and that's just to throw a name out there. Like you may feel bad about mm -hmm. trading Vaughn, but trust me, like the, 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 the talent we can acquire or the way this might unlock the, the depth chart um, like this might happen, but I don't think, Han or Williams or whoever has that imagination. Like I, I, I shouldn't say no. Like 
they've proven they don't. And I don't get why they should keep getting the chance to prove that they do. I mean, like, I'm, I think I'm going to be writing about this tomorrow, but like the difference between like Han and Al Avila is that Avila didn't have prime players to sell. Like he had Justin Verlander, uh, very expensive at the end of his uh, contract. He had Miguel Cabrera, you have JD Martinez, uh, you know, who was kind of rickety. You did not have prime Chris Sale and prime Jose Quintana and prime Adam Eaton. Like, uh, so, I mean, like if, if Han didn't have that and he tried tearing it down, it might look the same as the Tigers. Like if you're talking about like 110 lost seasons and can't even get to 70 wins and, you know, having this kind of backsliding from, you know, top five draft picks, like this is, you know, that's what I see. I think if I had to make a prediction, Rick Hahn is going to move into a special advisor to Jerry Reinsdorf role because the White Sox don't fire anyone. Mm -hmm. And they will bring in a new executive vice president, general manager. Probably someone that Ken Williams will pick. The name that pops in my head is Mike Hill, the former general manager of the Miami Marlins and currently working within major league baseball operations. That's like the first name. They don't have money to bring in Theo Epstein, mm -hmm. but you are right, Jim. Like you cannot have, you, you can't have Rick Hahn if they don't make the postseason. try to fix this problem. And I, I should say you can, but it won't work. <laughs> let's, put, let's put it that way like the white Sox very well might but nobody should expect and, to be successful and on 35th and shields they may argue with us and be like oh yeah we're gonna prove you wrong like come on the, the things that we've been saying for years have come to fruition like anyone that's been half paying attention has been telling you that these problems are going to come up and they keep coming up it's like we're we're not we're idiots but we're not complete idiots like during the rebuild while we were watching you do your work and building up a new farm system, we were also paying attention to the teams that are very good and paying attention to and how they operate their business. And you need to take a little bit from each of these teams to take in some of that knowledge because it is working. And Baltimore's having all this success. What did they do in their rebuild? Let's hire a bunch of Astros employees. And it's working. And who's the number one seed right now in the American League? Houston. And what does everybody want to do? They want to hire away from the Rays and the Dodgers. Yes, the, the entire Major League Baseball is one big think tank. And if you don't try to get some of that knowledge into your organization, you're going to fall behind because whether you like it or not, these models are working. These tactics are working. They are developing winning teams. Yeah, and the reason why the white, yeah, part of the reason why the White Sox don't um, really have any uh, turnover in their ranks is because nobody hires away their employees. Like right, nobody thinks not the White enough. Sox have ideas worth emulating, so the, everybody just hangs around. Yes, so that's that's what I think would be next for the White Sox when when we're looking at these next fifty games. If they go twenty five and twenty five and they finish eighty one and eighty one this season, that's just how I feel. Like this season is going to end. They're going to be 81 and 81. Like, I don't think Rick Hahn is going to be GM. I think he's going to be the one that falls on the sword. I wouldn't be shocked if Tony LaRusa comes back as manager because Jerry gets what he wants. But whoever comes in, some of the tough decisions, like uh, our friend Beeflo from the 108 put this on Twitter, like who would you honestly move that other teams would like and you would get something that brings in an impact return that could help the 2023 White Sox win. And there's a lot of people that keep up reading, well, Eloy Jimenez has got to go. Well, Lucas Giolito. I'm going to go a different route. I don't think a lot of teams want a guy who's got a five ERA and another guy who has 30 home run potential but might only play 60 games for you. That might be shocking to hear, White Sox fans, that Lucas Giolito and Aloy Jimenez don't have a great deal of trade value. I'm, I don't know like if you can hold on to Liam Hendricks after this season. He's been great for the White Sox, but having that type of closer for that type of money just doesn't make a whole lot of sense right now for the White Sox. And there will be teams lining up to acquire Liam Hendricks. Shoot, make another trade with the Los Angeles Dodgers as they're coming to see offseason. Uh, trade him another closer. Uh, they would take Liam Hendricks in a heartbeat. 
And you got four very talented shortstops in this upcoming free agent class. And these four talented shortstops are going to make a lot of money. From a White Sox perspective, I would not be eagerly pushing out Tim Anderson in the trade market. But if I'm the other 29 teams and I have one of these teams that doesn't want to pay $25 plus million to a shortstop over the next six seasons, I'm picking up the phone and I'm calling the White Sox about Tim Anderson because he's got two years on that deal, their club options, and he is very cheap compared to the free agents that are going to be on the trade market. If I'm the White Sox, I would you would have to listen because if you're looking for an impact return, yeah, Tim Anderson can definitely provide you that because he's got two years left on his deal where in those two years, you're paying the same amount for one year of like Trey Turner, who mm-hmm. is a free agent, or Carlos Correa, who is a free agent, or Xander Bogarts uh, is a free agent. Like those are the two players that I'm circling. Like if you're looking for an impact move to bring in, talent that could help you in 2023 those would be the two guys nobody wants to hear that from a white Sox perspective because these are player favorites they're mm-hmm. very good why would you trade away the guys that are very good why don't you trade away the guys that aren't good because shockingly nobody wants your bad players nobody wants your injured players nobody wants your underperforming players and i guess in the end like what's next for the white Sox in these next 50 games I, we're going to have to watch on how Loy Jimenez hits because if he does continue to hit well, and if he hits for more home runs, that's great. Aloy, you're helping your trade value. Mm-hmm. If Lucas Giolito figures it out and he strings together, let's say six quality starts that helps lower his ERA closer to four. Fantastic. Lucas. Thank you. We're going to trade you as soon as you file your arbitration number. So we have a better idea of what your one year salary is going to be in 2023. And that kind of sucks because when this contention window started, we were hopeful that these guys would stick around for a a long time. But there's also a point that you have to take a lesson. And this rebuild started because of the Chicago Cubs success, a lesson from Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer managing the Cubs. And they have admitted sometimes you hold on too long and it just happened again in the trade deadline. Like they hold, held on Ian Happ and Wilson Gutierrez too long, in my opinion. But they held on too long with Chris Bryan. They held on too long for Anthony Rizzo. They held on too long with Javier Baez. They probably should have moved him earlier so they can get more impact prospects. So they're not in the position that they're currently in, which is fighting to avoid finishing last place in the National League Central. And if you want this contention window to go longer, with 50 games left to go in the 2022 season, someone in this organization is going to have to start thinking about the types of moves you have to make in November, December, because you cannot copy and paste this roster into 2023 and go Jim with the idea of dreams, hopes, and prayer. That's what we're going to do in 2023. Yeah. Basically stay healthy. And 2023 is going to be awesome guys. And you're going to look foolish, even contemplating trading some of these good players, but, We've been right so far, and I think the writing is on the wall. Like, if you want to extend this contention window, one, find a better person to drive the thinking than Rick Hahn. Two, reshuffle the roster. You got a lot of redundant pieces, and if you're going to have to slash payroll, really maximize the returns on the players that other teams want, like Liam Hendricks and Tim Anderson. Yeah, you think about Hendricks's trade value and thinking about like the last time, like the, yeah, when the White Sox signed him and like they made news for the creative structuring of the contract, it was basically like, are they going to pay him $15 million in his final year? Or are they going to pay him $1 million for 15 years with the buyout? Isn't that crazy? And just like, that's where like, you know, Rick Hahn's accounting, you know, like basically like, you know, back when players would sign themselves for super cheap for extensions, like the sale Quintana, uh, Anderson mm-hmm. Eaton deals, like that was like cool and exciting for fans. Cause they could see like how the pieces fit and how, uh, you can, you know, extrapolate their earnings, uh, in coming years and say like, Oh, you can really add players around those kind of salaries. But then like, as the salaries got more expensive, um, you know, 
all these deals became like too clever by half, whether it was, you know, signing guys before they'd played a game for close to retail rates, or at least, you know, not, not too far away from what they'd be making in arbitration going year to year. And then you had, uh, you know, like Hendricks of this. And I remember like reading that, like, Oh, that's different. Am I supposed to care? Like as a fan, like, am I, is this supposed to get me excited? Like, you know, why do I care about like the white Sox balance? Like, you know, it went from being like, Oh, I see how teams can be built to like, why do I feel like I'm just sitting in like on a CPA call? <laughs> like that's, you know, the, the, the fan appeal from, you know, Hans accounting uh, really dropped off. So, you know, that seems to me like it was the only, um, only club in his bag and it just doesn't work anymore. So um, it, it's like a one iron or something like that, that nobody swings because they can't. Um, th- that's what it uh, you know, reminds me of. So yeah, just, it's, they have to get creative. Like, you know, I, I keep, uh, you know, well, last year I, I threw uh, Aloy Jimenez's name out there as somebody who should maybe be moved because of, you know, the idea of, selling a year too early versus a year too late. Like they actually did that with Nick Magical. Like I thought that was the, you know, um, say what point. you will about Craig Kimbrell, but I felt like, you know, I understood why they dealt him because like how much can he lose uh, in talent from, you know, one season ending surgery after another until all of a sudden, like he can barely uh, produce enough to stay in the majors. Like that, that's how I looked at that. So I understood when they dealt him, but like, yeah, I had the same kind of thought with, Jimenez is just like, you know, how many surgeries can he have until like he just, you know, his limitations render him to a DH entirely, you know? And, and so that's, that's kind of how I look at it. And with Vaughn, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking ahead at his, you know, the leg issues or the back issue that he has and say like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, is that a problem? Like, I don't really know. So, I mean, like I would open up even further just because it does, you know, I, I would add Vaughn in this as, as somebody who has like probably immense value to some teams uh, who can, either use him better at first base as natural position or DH, or just think that, you know, they can keep him healthier, uh, which, you know, a lot of teams might be able to think they can do because the White Sox have been really bad in this regard, even relative to uh, a league that does lose more games than it used to, to injuries. We did get this question from the comments section on YouTube from Brian O'Connor and Brian wrote to us, do you think there are any untouchables for the White Sox, maybe Luis Robert and Dylan Cease. I don't know. I, I guess personally, Jim, I would put Luis Robert in the untouchable category because I still believe in his ability and he's going to make just $9.5 million next year for the White Sox, which is still pretty cheap for the type of value you can get. Dylan Cease is going to be in arbitration one uh, next year. So he may get $5 million, but $5 million for the type of performance that he could provide you in 2023. Yeah. If you want Dylan Cease, you're going to have to back up the prospect truck uh, <laughs> to get him from the White Sox. Uh, Cause I mean, it might be worth it for other teams, but it would have to take one grade of a haul. And I, I would almost put those two as untouchables, but I, those are really the only two that I can think of. Like if you want anybody else in the White Sox, entering this off season. If those that are already trying to come up with ideas of how you're going to participate in the Sox machine off season plan project, mm-hmm. uh, is it just those two? Is there anyone else that you consider untouchable? I don't think there are any untouchables. Like I think cease could be like, if you're really looking to reinvent the roster, like cease would be like the, you know, I mean, that's I another be, Chris sale type of move. Yeah. It'd be like risk reward, you know, obviously. And like, you don't, you know, I don't think you toy with that idea lightly, but I think if you have to, try to reimagine this roster and try to solve, you know, uh, you know, kind of turn uh, one, if you're trying to turn one player into solving two or three spots, like that's kind of what you, you know, the depths you have to go to. So I think um, you have to keep that Avenue open, but yeah, with Robert, just like, like I said, you know, just between his injuries and effort level and whether the injuries are driving the effort level or not, like, you know, he's, somebody playing below his talent right now. And is that something that's going to be following him um, when it comes to, you know, just injuries, you're just eating away at uh, his ability to like access that MVP level talent. We think he has, like, I could see arguments for moving everybody like in, in a way just, you know, but it, it's a case where like, yeah, you don't move Dylan cease just for prospects. Like you, you move him because like, Oh, we can maybe, get a guy who helps us, you know, basically like we can replace Dylan Cease uh, 
better than we can solve right field. And Dylan Cease can help us solve right field now and add a player who might help us in a year solve this position. Like, so that's, I think, how it would have to look. Uh, it would be just four prospects. You know, it wouldn't be starting another rebuild. They can't do that at this point. We've seen that, uh, it, you know, I, I think there are teams that have proven, like, you don't need to lose hard on purpose because either like the Tigers, you're just going to keep doing it because you don't have the skill to develop players to take over. Or it's a case like the, uh, the Brewers to where it just, you just need to take minor step back. Uh, you don't have to always, you know, tear it down completely. Just might have to make an unpopular move, like trading a Josh Hader just to regroup and uh, have a better, more evenly allocated depth chart. So I don't think anybody's untouchable. I, I don't mean that. Yeah, I, I hope the White Sox, you know, wouldn't take that or White Sox fan take that as like, oh, they're tearing it down again because I think we've learned that tearing it down is a sham. Yes. And the this has been a pretty dour conversation. Mm -hmm. To avoid this, there's 50 games left. The White Sox are going to have to go at least, at least being the key phrase, 30 and 20 at least 30 and 20 that gets you to 86 wins. And right now, 86 wins looks to be on track to winning the American league central. That's the least you can do in these final 50 games. So if the white Sox want to avoid all of these terrible ramifications that we've thought of, they got to go 30 and 20 at the least in the remaining 50 games of the season. Every yeah, time I've said that, they continue going 500. <laughs> yeah, it's a case where I'm looking at this Tiger series uh, ahead, and I'm thinking, like, this is a series where they can sweep because that would put them 11 and 8, which I said would probably be the most frustrating outcome of this 19 games <laughs> because it's, uh, uh, you know, I felt like they needed to win two games for every loss, like, you know, basically like uh, 13 and 6 or 12 and 7, 11 and 8 would be not cutting it. And sure enough, like, I could see them ending up there and be like, Oh, looks like we turned the corner when really they just, you know, in the big picture, or I should say like zooming out just a bit, like you can say like, Oh, this is um, just short of what they needed to do. And so I can see like 30 and 20 being like, I think in, in a vacuum, yes, but like maybe if they strategically allocate their wins perfectly against the twins and guardians, that maybe they only need to go uh, 27 and 23, who knows? Like this, this division is that bad. So it's uh, you know, I've been looking at it like basically a series at a time, like a week at a time, just because um, the division's so bad. And like, I keep coming at that. Like I wish the division were a little bit better just to make it more clear. Well, I guess in a way, like, you know, division being as bad as it is and the White Sox, not, White Sox not being able to distinguish themselves in any way makes their failure more stark, even if the standings don't show it, at least to me. Well, let's talk about the Tiger series real quick before we wrap up this episode of Sox Machine Live. Your pitching probables for this series starting on Friday night. This is a 6.10 p.m. Central Time start. Keep that in mind. 6.10, not 7.10 Friday night. It's Michael Kopech. Saturday night, 6.10 p.m. Central Time. It'll be Lucas Giolito. And on Sunday, August 14th, it'll be Lance Lynn. And that start is at 1.10 p.m. Central Time. Lance Lynn needs to throw a perfect game to help me in the stake bet that I have with Beef Loaf because it is not looking good right now. Uh, come on, Lance. Need You're you hemorrhaging stakes. I'm hemorrhaging stakes. But that, that fourth stake bet that we have laid down, I feel really good about. And uh, we may have to fly to San Francisco to, to cash in that stake bet win for me. Uh this has been a lot of fun. It's great to bring back Sox Machine live as far as in this format. The first time we've done it since early July. For those that have been watching our videos on YouTube, apologize for not putting out more content on our YouTube page. We'll work on that. Uh, but Jim, it's great to fire up the, the video machine once again and be able to stream a live episode during the week. Yeah, I wish it were more pleasant. Like, you know, uh, one thing I get angry about Rick Hahn is like, you're the reason we have two-star Apple podcast reviews. Like, oh, Josh and Jim are too pessimistic. Like, not anymore, but we're not going to get those reviews back, are we? <laughs> no, we're not, but it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs>
Uh, but that will do it for this episode of Socks Machine Live. Thank you to everyone that watched the live stream on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Socks Machine and also watching on SocksMachine.com. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine. And you can subscribe to the Socks Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. So if you didn't get a chance to watch the video or if you're listening to us while riding the train or driving, you can subscribe to the podcast such as on Apple Music and on Spotify. If you just discovered Socks Machine or have been a longtime lurker of Socks Machine, you can help support us on patreon.com slash Socks Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And we have new Socks Machine swag, which we are working on and I'm very excited about. They're the first ones to get it. Monthly plans start at $2 and you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. Socks Machine Live is a production of SocksMachine.com, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Mm-hmm.